you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 49 this morning. If you will notice in your Bibles, there's only a couple of verses left in the book of Luke, 50 through 53, which we will tackle next week, and then we will move on uh, from the book of Luke. This morning we'll be looking at verses 36 through 49. We're reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus, It is written, that Christ shall suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sin shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me? Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. As was mentioned, uh, the ladies are gone on their retreats this weekend. Um, this year, they have uh, they decided to up the ante instead of just one night, which they weren't able to cram everything in. Uh, they decided for two nights uh, to have it more of a retreat, a little more restful, um, which means for the dads who got to stay home, that means an extra night of playing Mr. Mom. Uh, it's been a good weekend for, for me and my kids. We've had a good time. It's been busy, a lot of practices and and uh, carting them here and there. Uh, Friday night was very interesting. <laughs> Stephanie had not been gone a couple of minutes before Oliver fell and skinned his knee. Uh, we had that incident. Elliot uh, got scraped and scratched. Uh, Matt Hall, who has been with us for a while, um, he came over for dinner uh, before he was uh, going to, to head out, so we had him. And then I had to get Oliver to baseball practice, which I thought was at 7. <laughs> Lo and behold, it started at 6. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> uh, well, that was okay. We got there at the end, and he got his uniform. So um, uh, then, that evening, as I was putting the kids to bed, uh, I closed the door to the boys' room. I thought, oh, okay, I can relax. Uh, Elliot cries my name. <laughs> 
his tooth has been loose for the longest time, and this was the night, of course, that it had to come out. <laughs> so uh, we spent probably a good half hour, 45 minutes getting that front tooth out of Elliot's. So we had quite an ordeal that <laughs> Friday night. Uh, and so we are looking forward to Stephanie returning this afternoon for sure. Uh, it makes you appreciate moms and wives and the things that they do. So we are very much looking forward to this afternoon. Um, does anybody remember November 23, 2013? That was the day we started going through Luke. <laughs> so that was the start of Advent in 2013. Uh, we started going through the, the birth story of Christ there through Luke. And here we are, two and a half years later. Uh, I looked at the number of sermons that we have preached through Luke, and it's a little over 80. Uh, 80 different uh, times that we have opened up the book of Luke uh, to see the truth that God has for us this morning. Uh, and I want to remind us of the beginning of Luke, because what we're going to see here is kind of a bookend feature that Luke provides for us. Uh, in the beginning of Luke, he reminds, uh, or he tells us why he is writing his gospel. And in Luke 1, verses 3 through 4, he says this, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That you might have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That theme of certainty in the midst of doubt is what we're going to be talking about this morning. And this is how Luke basically bookends his gospel. He wants Theophilus to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is the Messiah, that he died on the cross to save us from our sins. And in the end here, we see the disciples struggling with that doubt and how Christ gives them the assurance that they are looking for. So let's set the stage here of where we're at in Luke. So it is that Sunday night, Christ has risen that morning. Uh, last week, we talked about the story of the two disciples who were on their way to Emmaus who saw Christ, who came and walked with them, and then he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus, he opened up the scriptures to them, and he explained to them all the mysteries of Christ from the Old Testament. So what happens is these two disciples rush back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples that they have seen the Lord. They want the disciples to know and so I can't imagine the scene of what is going on there in that room. As these two men come in, they say, we have seen Jesus, he walked with us, he ate with us, he broke bread, and then we realized who he was. And then the disciples saying, oh, some women have seen him, Peter has even seen him. I can't imagine just uh, the, the emotion that is in that room. But... Not being one of those disciples who had seen Jesus, I can imagine that there was a sense of doubt. A sense of what is going on. There's so many questions that are being left unanswered. But what we'll see this morning is by proving to the disciples that he was alive, Jesus dispelled the doubts of the disciples, getting them ready to be deployed as witnesses for the gospel. So, 
Uh, We're going to have three points this morning. One, that uh, the doubts of the disciples were displayed. Uh, As I've been uh, tutoring for classical conversations, one of the things that we've been working on is alliteration. So we're going to see a lot of alliteration this morning with the letter D. (laughs) So the doubts of the disciples displayed. We're also going to see um, how Satan loves to sow seeds of doubt to drive us away from God. Uh, The doubts of the disciples will be dispelled, will be taken away. And finally, the doubts of the disciples will be deployed. They'll be deployed as witnesses. So let's start with the doubts of the disciples being displayed. Um, We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the disciples did have doubts. Jesus tells us himself in our passage. He says, why are you troubled in heart and why do you have doubts? Um, I've been reading a book recently. It's called The Soul of Shame. Um, uh, By looking at the cover, it wouldn't be a book that you would immediately pick out. Like, oh man, I would love to read a book on shame. Uh, It's not one of those. But it's been really good uh, looking at how shame affects uh, the way that we live our lives. And it's written from a Christian perspective and how the gospel speaks to shame uh, in our lives. And in one section, uh, the author really talks about doubt. And it's very poignant this morning as we come to this passage at the end of the Luke uh, because Jesus tells his disciples, do not doubt. But the question is, what were they doubting? I think on the surface, as we look at this, we could say, obviously, they were doubting the resurrection. They were doubting whether or not Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. And to their credit, that's understandable. 100% of the people who had died were still dead. So for them to believe that someone had been raised from the dead was something unbelievable. It had not happened prior. But if we really dig down deep, I believe that they they were actually doubting something greater than just the resurrection. Because what happens when we doubt in our lives is that we kind of have this downward spiral. We begin to doubt more and more things. And I believe what they were actually doubting is not just, did Jesus raise from the dead? Or was Jesus raised from the dead? What they were actually doubting was, does God really love me? And am I going to be okay? Does God really love me? And am I going to be okay? Because once you start doubting, there's these questions that keep coming up in your head. And if I was one of those disciples, I would imagine this. I would start thinking, you know, did Jesus really raise from the dead? I know Peter saw him. I know other people saw him. But is this real? Did he really do that? And if not, was Jesus really who I thought he was? Was he really the Messiah? Can I really trust the things that he said? Can I really trust what he did? And if he wasn't the Messiah, is God ever going to send someone to rescue us? Does God even care about rescuing us? Does God even care about me? Does God love me? Am I going to be okay? You know, this downward spiral of doubt is something that we see very clearly throughout all of Scripture, and it begins way back in the beginning. If you remember back to Genesis 3, Uh, with the serpent approaching Adam and Eve in the garden. 
God creates this perfect world. He creates a garden where he places Adam and Eve. He gives Adam and Eve everything they need for life and relationship with him. They are naked and they are unashamed. They have a a perfect relationship with God. And God gave them one command in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. He said, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So this is the scene where the serpent comes in and starts to sow seeds of doubt in Eve's mind. And he says, you know, did God actually say, you may not eat of any tree of the garden? And Eve responds, we cannot eat of any tree of the garden, and we cannot touch it either, or we will surely die. See, Eve changes the story ever so slightly. But the serpent tells her, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So if you think of what's going on in Eve's mind here, did God really say that we would not die? Does he really not want us to be like him? Does he really, uh, is God a mean God who doesn't want to give us good things? Does God really care about me? Is God self-centered? Does God really love me? And if God doesn't love me, am I going to be okay in this world? Eve starts to think, all I have is myself, so I might as well eat of the tree. And then she does. And then what happens? Adam and Eve realize their shame, and they hide themselves. They cover themselves with uh, leaves, and they hide themselves from God. And what Satan does is he slithers away, and he's laughing to himself because of the havoc that he has wreaked in God's world by sowing seeds of doubt in Eve's life. Satan loves to sow these seeds of doubt to drive us away from God. When I think of uh, very vulnerable times in my life where I have doubted God's goodness uh, to me, um, I can think of one in particular uh, when I was in seminary. I felt like I had everything in my life planned out. I was just finishing up my first year of seminary. I had been dating a girl for about two years at that point. Um, we, uh, were, uh, we had just gotten engaged, and uh, I felt like we would get married. I would graduate from seminary. I would go on to be a pastor, and life would be great. Um, that summer hit, and God brought my world crashing to a halt. Um, during that summer, my fiance uh, got a job up in Charlotte. She was working there. And what ended up happening is she ended up breaking off our engagement. That was devastating to me. Um, At that point, I didn't know heads from tails. I didn't know up from down. I didn't know what was happening. Uh, I realized I needed to take some time off from seminary to try to figure life out. Uh, I got a job working in full commission sales, uh, which was a real struggle for me based on my personality. And um, life was a struggle. And I began to doubt. said, how could God allow such a thing to happen in my life? And I began having things, or, or having thoughts in my head that I'm not lovable. God doesn't love me. Other people do not love me. I am not going to be okay. And it confirmed messages that I had been feeling all of my life 
but never really being uh, able to bring to the surface. And I felt that I was not worthy of being loved. Because of the shame that we often feel in our lives, we have this sense that we're not worthy of God's love. And then when Satan sows these seeds of doubt, we begin to believe those lies. And this is what the disciples were doing. And so what Jesus does is that he comes into this, uh, this time of doubt in their lives. And he comes to drive away all the doubts that they have to help them see that God actually does love them and that they're going to be okay. So the doubts of the disciples are dispelled by Jesus. And he does this in three ways this morning. Uh, Proof number one, when he comes, he shows them his hands and his feet. And he says that, does a spirit have flesh and bones? So first of all, he needs to prove to his disciples that this actually is Jesus. So you know when, a, when someone dies, uh, they perform an autopsy, or what they do is that they have someone who is a close relative come and, ad- and identify the body. They have distinguishing marks, uh, scars, um, you know, maybe they had surgery or something like that. Uh, for me, uh, with my children, they know that I have a scar here on my elbow from when I was eight and put my hand through a window and uh, a scar on my leg from a biking incident when I was 10. Uh, I spent a lot of time in urgent care when I was a young kid, (laughs) lots of stitches. So my kids know that they can identify me based on the scars that I have on my body. Jesus does the same thing with his disciples. Uh, This is not a divine bait and switch. This is not someone who looks like Jesus. This is actually Jesus. He comes and says, look at my hands, Look at my feet. In other Gospels, uh, we know with with Thomas in particular, he says, stick your hand in my side. This is me. It is Jesus. It is not someone else. Proof number two, he asks for broiled fish. So not only does he prove that it is Jesus, what he does is that it proves that he is Jesus in the flesh. He says, does a spirit, can a spirit eat in a sense? So it's not just the ghost of Jesus. It's not just the spirit of him. It is actually him. It is him in the flesh. This is not like uh, the movie The Sixth Sense, if you have seen that with Bruce Willis, where throughout, uh, not to give it away, hopefully you have seen it, um, but this will give it away. This is a spoiler alert. Throughout the whole movie, Uh, You don't realize this, but Bruce Willis is actually a ghost. And at the very end, you realize that an incident that had happened at the beginning was actually his death, that he had died from that. And throughout the whole movie, something that you think is real is actually not. But Jesus is real. He eats with his disciples. It is him in the flesh. So he proves that it is him. It's not someone else. He proves that it is him in the flesh because of the eating of the fish. And then proof number three, Jesus opens up Scripture to them. Luke records for us in verses 44 and 45, where Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and of the prophets and of the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. This is similar to what he did to the men who were on the way to Emmaus. He opens up their minds to understand what the Scriptures say concerning 
God. So, in the future for them, this is going to be so key. Because in the future, what they don't know is that Jesus is about to head back to his Father. And so they are going to have Jesus in the flesh. And I can't imagine how incredible that would be, to have Jesus with them in the flesh. So for him to point out to them who he is according to Scripture, this is something that they are going to be able to look back on and prove to others. They can't take Jesus along and say, look, Jesus died and he is risen. Here he is. But what they can do is they can say, Jesus died and he is risen and here is the proof in Scripture, and plus, I've seen him. I know this to be true. And then Jesus goes on to say in 46 and 47, he says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in, in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So what Jesus is telling his disciples is this. All the scripture was pointing to me. I died, and here I am again. I'm alive. I'm in the flesh. And what is going to happen from here on out is that the plan that the Father had from the beginning is going to unfold. That the gospel is going to be spread to all nations beginning here in Jerusalem. This gospel of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So this is where we get to our third point. So the doubts were displayed, the doubts were dispelled, and now the disciples who doubted are going to be deployed. Uh, Another spoiler alert after Luke, what we're going to do is we're going to keep right on in, uh, in Luke, in a sense. We're going to head right on into the book of Acts, because Acts is basically Luke volume 2, and we're going to see what Jesus has done in the early church, and uh, starting in Jerusalem and going to the ends of the earth. And in order to prepare them for that, he is going to deploy them. Uh, I mentioned that during seminary, I took time off and I went into full commission sales. I was a terrible salesman. I lasted probably for about seven months before I, uh, thankfully, a man in my church had a job Uh, for medical recruiting, and I was able to do that. But the reason why I was a terrible salesman wasn't necessarily based on my personality. Um, Introverts can sell as well, Uh, but it was because I didn't believe in the product that I was selling. And it's really hard to sell a product that you don't believe in or you wouldn't purchase for yourself. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what that product was. I'll just say that I didn't believe in it. And it was really hard to convince someone else to buy it when I wouldn't do it myself. God wasn't sending his disciples out as salesmen, but he was sending them out as witnesses. And you would be a terrible witness if you had doubts regarding that which you were testifying to. So if the disciples had doubts that Jesus had actually risen from the dead, what kind of witnesses for the gospel would they be? They would be terrible witnesses. So Jesus comes back and he proves to them, yes, he is truly alive. They could say, yes, Jesus died on the cross. He was raised again after three days. And I know this because I have seen him. I have touched him. I have eaten with him. He is alive. And we're going to see how that plays out in the book of Acts. 
Because not only did God give them the proof of seeing Jesus, but he also gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, starting on the day of Pentecost. And as we'll see, that they became incredible witnesses for Christ and for the gospel. So as we conclude this morning, as 21st century disciples of Christ, we know that we are called to the same things that the disciples were. We are called to trust in the proof of the resurrection. Jesus hasn't appeared to us personally like he did to the disciples, but we can accept their testimony as being true. God recorded these in Scripture for us. We have their eyewitness testimony, and it is true. And when, uh, not if, but actually when we have our doubts, we need to be reminded by the truth that we have in Scripture. When you get to that place that I know that we have all been, and this is something that we struggle to talk about as Christians, the places and the times when we doubt in our lives. We've all been there. We all do that. Uh, When we get to that place, we need to be reminded of the truth of Scripture. And we can trust in the truth of the Gospel. The resurrection is the proof of God's love for us. That He has conquered our enemies, which are sin and which are death. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And the resurrection is proof that his promise is true, that he will always be with us. And we can say these words that we said on Easter with confidence, and we're going to see how you guys do this morning, that he has risen. risen Amen, and let's pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the proof of the resurrection. We admit that we are people who often doubt. Father, I pray that when we are in those periods of doubt in our lives, that we would be drawn to you by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would see the words that you have recorded for us in Scripture, that you do love us, that you have sent your Son to die for us, that he was raised again on the third day, and we know that he will come again in glory. Father, I pray that in the times of doubt that we would be turned to you. Father, we know that Satan loves to sow these seeds of doubt in our lives, and we pray against him. Father, we pray that as our king, that uh, we look forward to the day when, when this enemy will be fully conquered and we will not have to struggle with these doubts anymore. Until that day, strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would use us as well as witnesses that we can dispel the doubts that others have in their lives as well. Father, use us for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.